This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, if you have a Bible, open up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably a blue hardcover copy there on a chair or pocket in front of you. And we will be uh, putting, projecting the, the scriptures up here as well, if that makes it easier for you. We are in the middle of a series called A Beautiful Mess. It's the study of the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have, if you want to go ahead and use your, your device... Uh, if you don't already have the YouTube Bible app, I would recommend that highly. By the way, if you don't know the story behind it, I said YouTube, U version. Yeah, right. Okay, maybe I should not do announcements either. Okay, um, so the U version Bible app. Um, and if you don't know the story behind that, there's a church uh, that has as one of their uh, values outrageous generosity. Not just generosity, but outrageous generosity. And uh, programmers that were attending their church started putting their heads together to come up with a Bible app. And once they developed it, it turned out to be one of the best ones out there. And so the church made it available to the world for free. Absolutely for free. It's one of the top apps, downloads anywhere in the world right now. And that church continues to give away everything they develop for free. Every time I open the U version, I smile. And I realize that... uh, they're impacting the whole world just because they were willing to be generous. They could have made a mint uh, selling even at a buck or two a pop, a download. They would be mega wealthy, and instead they gave it to the world be- because it's not their word. And so I'm so impressed by that. Anyway, so if you want to open up the U version, uh, you can actually follow along live. The, if you find our location, Crossroads Community Church, and uh, the passages should already be preloaded there. And I would love for you to use that as well. Well, we've been studying this book of 1 Corinthians where Paul writes a church, a church a lot like us, a church that was vibrant and alive, gifted, uh, sort of culturally savvy, a church that he had planted. And now they were going through difficulties. They were being influenced by the culture around them. And so they've written to Paul asking questions, wanting him to settle some issues. And he has written back now, this is what we have, are some of his replies to their questions and some of his effort as the the founder of that church to try to correct their Christian walk. So we talked about divisions and we talked about favorite teachers and he talked about family life and and, uh, being married, being single. He talked about sex He talked about divorce and remarriage. He's talked about many issues that are really uh, volatile in people's lives. And two weeks ago, before Mother's Day, we dove into the next question. And the question that they asked was, what about food offered to idols? Is it okay to partake? So I just want to remind you that although marriage, singleness, divorce, sex, celibacy, all those things, all those things we can kind of sort of relate to. Most of us don't have any way to relate to food offered to idols. It's probably not been a big problem in your spiritual life. And so we talked a few weeks ago uh, about what kind of a role this played in their lives and how gods and little, little deities uh, filtered throughout their entire culture. 
and that they had been raised to believe that there was a God of softball, and there was a God of, uh, you know, post office, and there was a God of lawn mowing, and there was, and, and sort of their whole life was all about doing those things while trying to please those deities. It was just how they were raised, and that's Greek and Roman culture. So when they came to faith in Christ, they knew that Jesus was Lord, not those other things. But you see, in the offering of, of gifts and in the sacrifices and the worship of these idols, often food would be one of the things offered. After it was offered, then it was either consumed or it was sold. And all of a sudden, these Christians were stuck with this question. Is it okay to eat things that have been offered to an idol? And if there's one thing we've learned about this church, it was that they were polarized. There were people over on this side that said, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? That meat has been sitting in front of a demon. And others would chuckle kind of sarcastically like, oh, roll their eyes. You see, we know better than that. Who cares where the meat sat? Jesus is Lord. These little chunks of wood and rock mean nothing. It's perfectly fine to eat it. And so the question comes to Paul, well, what do you say? And so if there's one thing we've learned about Paul as he answers is that often his answers are kind of like, yes, but. And we've noticed how carefully he adjusts the ideal and the teaching while applying it to everyday life, which is never ideal. There are always exceptions. And so what we saw just a few weeks ago was that Paul addressed this idea of meat offered to idols. Um, you know, Corinth was, as I said, it was vibrant, it was alive, it was growing, but it was all also filled with division. It was filled with people seeking their own agenda, their own preference. They were driven by personal preferences. Well, I like that, I like that, I don't think like... It, it, it was as though... It was as though their theme was, you deserve the best. You deserve a break today. You deserve to drive that. You deserve to live there. You've got that coming to you. No one can take that away. Sound familiar at all? No, not at all. You see, their culture was so much like ours. They were driven by their personal freedoms and preferences. In fact, they had gotten good at spiritualizing their preferences. So that, so that their preference had a little bit more weight. It sounded spiritual even in church. What they didn't realize is that by all this bickering back and forth about what they like best and what they think is best, they were actually destroying the very fabric of the community that Jesus was trying to build. And so... Paul addresses them, and his goal, it seems, is to not correct these individual issues, although that's part of it. But the bigger picture is, is to try to put them all back on the same page. To get them thinking together again. What is it? What idea is so powerful that it would pull them out of their little preferences, their, their freedoms, their indulgences. This is what I like best. What is it that would pull them out of that kind of selfish thinking, self-serving attitudes and actions? 
and cause them to get back on the same page. One vision, one mission, one life to live. What idea was so powerful that it would even, be, it would even make them willing to give up their personal freedoms? We've talked a little bit about the fact that in just a few weeks, three weeks to make, to actually, in three weeks, we're going to start welcoming the folks from uh, Montgomery Baptist Church here, and they're going to worship with us all summer. It's going to be really exciting. It's going to be really chaotic. So I just want to say this as a, as a matter of application already. Do you like where you're sitting? I want you to look around and kind of, kind of realize that it's not all that special. I can't help but notice that like everybody seems to start on the third or fourth row back. You realize what happens if we continue to do that. It means all of our guests have to march all the way up here. You don't want to come all the way up here, but we're going to make them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unless, of course, we say, I mean, I know what happens. It happens to me. I don't want to sit way up there. Hmm. What in the world would make somebody willing to actually scoot right up here? What would make us willing to sit in the uncomfortable spot? To not be where we always are? To not necessarily see the same people beside us? What would cause the Corinthians to give up their personal freedoms for the sake of someone else? Well, that's what Paul's been talking about as he addressed food offered to idols. And so what we learned two weeks ago was this first principle, which was our love for other believers should unite us and motivate us to be willing to limit the exercise of our personal freedoms. Let's kind of review that quickly. You see, what they're learning is that when they show love to other brothers and sisters in Christ, they're showing love for Christ. Uh, some of us are tempted to say, I love Jesus. It's these other Christians that get on my nerves. <laughs> and what Paul would say is, I understand, and yet you can't have one without the other. So we looked at 1 Corinthians last week, or two weeks ago, we were in chapter 8. We saw that Paul wrote to them, he said, so then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. He made the first point, and he chose a side. I'm siding with you guys over here. You're right. Idols are just chunks of wood and rocks. It doesn't matter if the food is sat in front of a piece of whatever. It doesn't matter. No power at all. But then he goes on. He says, but not everyone has this knowledge. Not everybody knows what you know. Because of that, he gives this instruction in verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. He goes on to say, so this weak brother, if you just go ahead and do whatever you want, and they follow along, even though they feel like maybe it's wrong, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. You see, we tend to think that the highest calling in our lives is the exercise of our freedoms. And what Paul is beginning to instruct them and us is that Actually, once you figure out which freedoms are yours, and you know what it feels like to actually exercise your freedoms, that's when love can actually begin. It doesn't even start until you get there. Once you know that you don't have to, and you choose to anyway, that's where love begins. 
As long as you and I are doing what we're supposed to, what we're instructed to, what we have to, right? If, I mean, honestly, if we tape off the back rows, you're going to be sitting up here, <laughs> okay? You get zero points for that because you didn't have a choice. Don't make me tape off the back rows. But when you walk in and you sit there and you go, oops, I've, oh, man, yeah, you know what? I definitely want to get used to being up here because that way our guests don't have to walk all the way. You see, as soon as we do it, because, not because we have to, that's when love begins. And, of course, verse 12, he says, when you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. That's how important it is that they think about how their actions are going to affect someone else. Powerful. So what ideas, what ideas would make people change their behavior? Well, we're used to thinking about freedom. Freedom is important. Freedom is probably one of the highest priorities that we have as a people here in the U.S. And yet there is something, at least one thing, that can and perhaps should limit freedom, and that is love. Before we move on, let me just ask you this. When can you recall the last time when you sacrificed something? Not because you had to. You didn't have to. And you did anyway. You let it go. You gave it up. You, whatever it was. When was the last time you can remember sacrificing for someone else? Not because you had to, but because you cared about them. That's what Paul was instructing them and us to move toward. Now, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, I mentioned this passage, and I think it would just be helpful for us to read it together. It's in Romans 14, and just to look at a couple of passages, it's another group of people to whom Paul wrote a very similar idea. Starting in verse 13, we read this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that actually causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Now, we're going to move on today to, this, to the other half of this discussion, but I think it's so important that we pause here and remember what the context is. You letting something go that you don't have to. Nobody can make you. It's your right absolutely positively. You are free to go ahead and do that. And yet, if we know that in doing it, we might hurt someone, 
the highest calling, love, says, it's not a big deal. I don't need to do it. Our love for other believers should unite us and should motivate us to actually be willing to limit the exercise of our own freedoms. As Americans, it's almost heretical to say it out loud, isn't it? Well, we're going to move on today then. So in chapter 9, Paul moves on to the other half of this conversation. And so let's, let's read on. You see, what Paul's going to do now, he's just told them, give up, a, give up one of your freedoms, give up something that you have the right to, give it up for someone else. In chapter 9, he's going to use himself as an example. He's going to say, let me show you what it looks like in my life. Now, what's interesting about what he talks about here, he's going to talk about his rights as an apostle. What you need to understand is that Paul's really going to kill two birds with one stone here. You see, people in Corinth were actually um, attacking his credentials for being an apostle. They were saying, you know, Paul's, I don't think Paul was like, like the other apostles. I don't think he's as big as Peter. I don't think he's as Peter as big as John. I mean, he's, he's like small fry. He's like second class. I mean, they were, they were talking down and, and discrediting his credentials as an apostle. And the reason they were doing it was because he wasn't taking their financial support. This happens to pastors all the time. People get mad at them for not taking their money. Happens all the time. <laughs> Not, no, it doesn't. In fact, it almost makes no sense, except what you need to understand is this. In the Corinthian church, like many churches, many people were poor and a few were wealthy. And the wealthy understood that they had the opportunity to give and support in ways that some others don't. Some gave out of a heart of love but others gave because they could get influence. And so these people loved to support the teachers because when the teachers came to town, they would talk about, and I want to thank my host. Oh, thanks so much. You want to get lunch today? Let's go. And before you know it, it kind of helped with that image of, I'm important. I mean, the guy comes to town and, and you know, I pick him up from the airport. He, he lunches with us. A little golf later, he's playing, you know, we're going to... It would, in, it would kind of raise their standing as being important and influential. The only problem was that Paul wasn't interested in their money. He wasn't taking their gifts. <laughs> Imagine that, a pastor turning down a paycheck. And they're starting to think, well, who does he think he is? I mean, and, and so now there's a flap. He's actually getting blowback because he's not taking their support. So when he starts to give this example of what it means to give up your rights for the sake of someone else, he's picked something that is also something he's being accused and attacked for. So he's going to kill two birds with one stone. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 9, we read this. He says, am I not free? I have the freedom. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord Jesus, or Jesus our Lord, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? There's actually four questions there, and we won't take time today. But they're all uh, critical questions used to figure out who was and was not an apostle. And he, he's underscoring who he is and his standing. Not only did I see the Lord, not only am I free because of the gospel just like you, 
He says, on top of everything else, I'm the one that got you started. Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He goes on. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. He's referring to those who are criticizing him for not taking their money. This is my defense. Don't we have the right to food and drink? He's talking about himself. Don't, don't, we, don't we have the right to be fed and, and taken care of? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother? Yeah, sure he does. Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Everybody else is getting supported. He's not. What he's establishing is, uh, I have the right to a check, don't I? I have the right to your support. And now he's going to lay down some kind of logical argumentation. He says, there's a lot of reasons that I have the right. Now, most of us would say, okay, okay, we got you. You know, you're the apostle, you got the right, got it. He's going to make a case, and it's on purpose, okay? He's going to make the case for why he has the right to go on their, being supported by them at their expense. He's going to go on, oops, sorry. So, he asked this question, first of all, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? You see, he gives a, an argument from common practice. This just makes sense, okay? You work in a restaurant, you ought to be, able to allow, you ought to be allowed to eat some fries. Now, I realize that that's not the case in many places. But he goes, um, common practice. You're working, you should benefit from the work you're doing. He goes on to say, I do, do I say this merely on human authority? Or doesn't the law also say the same thing? And now he quotes some passages from the Old Testament. But what he's saying is that the Old Testament law taught the same thing. Scriptural precept supports the fact that the person who's doing the work should also benefit from the work. Second reason. Now he goes on to the third. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap material harvest from you? If others have the right to support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Just logical justice. If we served you, doesn't it make sense that we would benefit from you? And if others are being uh, supported by you, shouldn't we? But we did not use this right. He goes on. He says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple, now he's going to talk about a Jewish religious uh, kind of an argument, proof. Those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those that serve at the altar share in what's offered at the altar. As those offerings were given, then the Levites and the other temple workers actually lived from the offerings that were brought to the temple. He says there's even kind of a, a precedent for, from Jewish culture for that. And the last argument he gives should be the biggest, probably. Verse 14, in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. He just, 
he just laid out five big arguments for why he should have the right to be supported by them. You say, Mike, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. See, he's the one turning down the... It's not like they're not willing to. He's turning it down. He's making a point. Are, is anybody... Is it ambiguous at all? Is anybody still wondering whether or not I have the right to be supported? It's really clear. But he's making it clear so that now that he's made it crystal clear, they would understand how important it is, that they would fully appreciate the fact that even though he had every right to take that support, he didn't. Let's keep reading. He says, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 15. But I've not used any of these gifts or these rights. I am not writing this in a hope that now you'll do such things for me. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not kind of trying to make you feel guilty so you support me. I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. You get the principle? But if not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging a trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge so that, so, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. You see, if you look at the book of Acts, about chapter 18, you'll see that Paul supported himself as a tent maker. He, he was not saying that it was wrong for other pastors, other speakers, other teachers to be supported. But what he's saying is, I wanna, I'm willing to forego that so that I make a point that's crystal clear. Salvation is a free gift by grace through faith. You see, Paul was like anybody else. He, he, he didn't mind if life got easier for him. He wouldn't mind it if he was supported and there was a little bit more security. It would have been fine for him to desire what was easier or what was fair or what was even right. Why would he give up something that was easier? It was fair. It was right. Wouldn't that be enough to convince you? Okay, you convince me. I'll take it. What in the world would motivate him to still turn that down? And the, the, the thing that motivated him was a desire for the gospel to go out. You see, remember, Paul is trying to get the entire church on the same page. He's trying to get Corinth to stop being driven by their own desires and to come together you know how you get people to come together? Not by yelling at them and telling them to come together, but by reminding them of something that they all have in common. What is it that has the potential to put them all on the same page? Well, he's already said one of those things is the fact that our love for other believers ought to make us unified. It ought to motivate us to be willing to give up our rights. But now, he says, our love for the lost should motivate us, should unite us and motivate us and make us willing to exercise, uh, to give up the exercise of our personal freedoms. 
a love for the lost. How important to Paul was winning the lost? I I think the next passage makes it really clear. What I want you to do is I'd like you to help me this morning. I'm going to read this passage, but every time we get to something that's in red, I would like you all to read it out loud together with me. Okay? Say, okay, just so I know that your voices work. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul would make it very clear that for us, what should pull us together, get us on the same page, motivate us in everything we do, that item should be a love for the lost. How, how important to Paul was winning the lost? There was nothing he wouldn't do. Apart from breaking the law of God, there is nothing he would not do. There are no limits, no ends. He says this in Philippians 3, and I think it relates to what he's saying to the Corinthians. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that is of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, on the basis of faith. Wow. Maybe we should pause for a second and ask ourselves, how important is reaching the lost to me? When was the last time I made a sacrifice with the hopes that I would get the chance to share the gospel. Paul says, there is no opportunity I would turn down. I'd go eat pork. I'd go without meat completely. I'd go sit in the woods and eat. I'd sit at a banquet table. I'd stay up late. I'd get up early. It doesn't matter. What, I'd go the long way. It would be longer It would be inconvenient. It would be an expense. I would take it if I thought it might translate into an opportunity to reach the lost. I don't always do that. I still sometimes try to cut my lawn when I don't think any of my neighbors are home. Because 
you've got to know our neighborhood. If you're outside and they walk by, they're going to stop and talk for 20 minutes. And you're like, okay, great talking. Yeah, see ya. Oh, hi. And you know, it can take you hours to cut the lawn. And I need to get that lawn cut. And then when I'm all done, I think, there, I successfully cut my lawn and I, I ducked all my neighbors. Paul says, it would be okay with me if it took me a week to cut my lawn. If by being out there, I get another chance to chat and watch for an opportunity for the gospel to open up. You see, this isn't just convicting to them, not just convicting to you, it's convicting to me. It ought to convict all of us. Hmm. Aren't you impressed by Paul, by the way? Aren't you impressed by his fervor for the Lord, for his dedication to reaching the lost? Don't you think to yourself, boy, I wish I could be like him. That'd be great if I'm, I'm not, of course, I'm not, so... But anyway, but that'd be great. I mean, him and maybe Pastor, you know, these guys. I mean, but, wow, so impressive. I'm just not like that. Paul says, hang on a second. The only reason I can do this is because I have a secret weapon. And he mentions that in verse 24. He says, don't you know that all in a race, all the runners, in, in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like somebody running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. See, as soon as we're tempted to say, well, boy, I wish I was that spiritual, wish I, I cared that much, you know, I don't. But hey, I mean, I'd be, Paul would go, this doesn't happen by accident. This is intentional. I work at this. I go into training. I remember when I first got saved, one of the very first things that they taught me as a middle school student was how important it is that I share the gospel with other people. Okay, yep, yep. And I'm not sure that that message would have sunk in if it weren't for the fact that for the next year, every time we got together with these, with these Bible study people, they were memorizing another Bible verse. And every verse we memorized, they weren't about worship. They weren't about prayer. They weren't even about loving your brother. Every verse we learned was a verse that we could use to share the gospel. Every one of them. The message was clear to me. You better be ready. And you better make opportunities happen. Sacrifice something so that you get a chance to talk to your friends. How many times have we seen something happen and we go, ooh, yeah, and we walk on? And yet, if we're intentional, we might go, oh, oh my, are you okay? Yeah, let me. And now they might say, I'm fine, bye. But you don't know. I said, a physician's office this past week. And while I was there at the desk uh, signing in, this, this woman came in, kind of frantic. Is there somebody that can help me? I, I need to get him out of the car. And he, and he fell yesterday. He's really wobbly. And, and I need, need some help getting him in from the car into the office. But he's, but he's kind of belligerent. He's kind of in a bad mood. 
I saw the man coming in, and he's standing out there kind of hanging on to something. Of course he was mad. If I could barely walk and everybody was treating me like I was an invalid, I'd be grumpy too. Now, of course, she was talking to the nurses. I didn't want to give them a chance. I said, I'll, I'll help you. The nurse is like, uh, okay. No, no, I'll help you. Yeah. And I went out there. What's his name? His name is Sam. She goes, he's really in a bad mood. His wife was already holding the wheelchair. Looked like she needed it as much as him. They had to have been 120, 130 years old. I don't know. And I walked out there, and he kind of raised his head, looked at me. Sam, how are you? He's thinking, do I know him? I said, hey, come on in. Can I give you a hand? Well, well, uh, uh, and then I noticed he had a cool little National Geographic watch hanging from his belt. Oh, that's neat. $33. Yeah. I said, hey, that's pretty cute. You want to sit here? It's low. And before you know it, he sat in a wheelchair. I said, can you put your feet up? He looked at me, and I said, I'm just asking. Puts his feet up. We flip it down. We roll him in. Walking away, he goes, we're buddies. I didn't get a chance to share the gospel. But I wasn't sure. It would have been a little easier to just ignore them. Like, well, I mean, they're asking the professionals. I just didn't want to let a chance go by. When I came out of the doctor, my point was over. I looked around. I was hoping they were still there. They were gone. Rats. We can be intentional. Paul says he is intentional. We need to stop right there. Why do you think we're here? Why in the world are you here? You know, there is this tendency for us to come to church and think because we are so aware of the frailties and the mistakes we have made in our spiritual life in the past week. And we are. It is so normal then to come and say, I really need a booster. I really need a kick in the pants. I could use some comfort, I could use some encouragement. I'm hoping Mike has something that'll give me a little edge for this coming week. All those things are wonderful. But do you hear the common denominator? Me, I, I, me, me, my, my, me. Now, all those things, I hope, do happen for all of us while we gather. And I hope God is honored. But at the very front of that line of things, that little Congo line of things that are supposed to happen on a Sunday, at the very front ought to be one thing. How can I reach somebody else with the gospel? Don't you guys listen to me sometimes when I'm talking about a connect card and people maybe get visiting for the first time and you're thinking to myself, I don't think there's anybody here this week. And sometimes there isn't. Do you know why we do it anyway? I do it anyway because I don't ever want you to get used to the idea that there isn't an unsafe person here. There could always be one. And you and I should be acting the same way. We're going to welcome Montgomery Baptist in a few weeks. Please do not assume they're all believers. In fact, go ahead and treat them like they're pagans. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to leave all your drug paraphernalia outside. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, but seriously, do you think that's just my job? Do you think that's just Nick's job? It's just the board's job. 
what Paul says is that the very front of this line of things that happen in our life needs to be at the very front, the very first thing, the whole reason Jesus came. He came to save the lost. How important is it to you that you get a chance to share the gospel? Is it important enough that you know what the gospel is? It's clear in your head? I know what it's like. All of a sudden, you have an opportunity to talk with a coworker. Like, yeah, yeah, I go to church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why do you go to church? Well, I mean, you know, because it's, it's, you know, because some churches, because they, like, I used to go to, it was big in Oregon. I don't love her like that. But, I mean, but so our church, but we really don't have a building. But, some, but people come, and, you know, it's good. And, and people, I just, I, huh? <laughs> um, okay. They really don't care. I don't care to tell them about my church. They're asking about my church. I want to tell them about my Savior. Well, actually, the reason I go to church goes all the way back to what I thought about heaven. Have you ever ever heard of Jesus? You think I am a communist? Okay, I'm just asking. You ever heard of Jesus? Okay, so so I'd heard of Jesus too, but what you know? Somehow I got the idea that good people went to heaven and bad people went to hell, and your coworkers are going. And And then I find out actually that's not what the Bible says. Oh no, no, it's not. What I found out was that. As far as God's concerned, everybody's a sinner. Hmm. Well, then everybody's stuck. Yeah, except for the fact that God loves us anyway, which is why Jesus came. You've heard, okay. And before you know it, sharing the gospel. Anyway, that's what got me started, was finding out that Jesus died in my place. What do you think about that? It's okay. I mean, whatever. No, I mean personally, like, who do you think Jesus was? Uh, never, I don't know, never really thought about it. I understand. Let's grab lunch sometime so we have some time to talk, maybe. Because it changed my life. Is it clear enough in our minds that we practice those talks in our head? Is it clear in your mind that you practice John 3.16? That you, you keep reviewing Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That you write 1 John 5, 13 on a card and you tape it in your car. Is it important enough to be ready? That's why we're here, ladies and gentlemen. We do church the way we do so that if someone comes in as a guest of yours, they feel comfortable. They are welcomed and they can hear the gospel, but it, you don't bring them just so I can tell them. You buy their lunch, you follow up. So what did you think? Have you ever heard anything like that before? Tell me what you think will happen when you die. Let me tell you what the Bible says. So having heard that, I'm wondering what would stop you from putting your faith in Jesus? Those aren't the words of a famous televangelist. Those are things that you and I can tell our friends and our coworkers. So simply put, there's only one thing that really pulls us together as a church. It's love. It's love for our brothers and sisters. And it's love for the lost. Who do you know? Who comes to mind right now? You know they probably need to hear that message. And you know that there's a, there's a possibility you're going to even have a chance to chat this week. Are you ready?
Let's pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, let me just try to make it as clear as I can. One day each of us will die and will stand before heaven. And God, who is perfect, will ask, Why should I let you into heaven, my perfect abode? Knowing that you are a sinner, what makes you think I could let you in? And and there is only one answer that opens the door. My only hope is the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my sin. And I put my faith in him. And he promised that when I put my faith in him, he would wash and cleanse my sin. There's only one reason I might get in, and it's because of what Jesus did. And God says, I see my son when I see you. Welcome. How many people do we know who don't even know that gospel message or have rejected it because of some other impact, some other relation, something else? They're rejecting it for all the wrong reasons. Are we ready? Do we care enough to actually share it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's one thing for you to die for us, but than to leave us as your disciples, to leave us as your messengers, to leave us as salt and light. We're not sure about how good a plan that was, but that was your plan. And so we ask that you would help us to be so burdened, so in love with those who don't know you yet, that we would seek them just like you sought us. May your love for the lost filter into our love for the lost. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org